Amen. Love Christmas music, love this time of year. And we're getting into a new series this morning. Uh, for the next four weeks, turn to Luke chapter 2 if you have a Bible. And if someone close to you doesn't have one, please share. And, and uh, there's some pew Bibles as well. Our new series is called Goodwill Toward Men. And of course, that's one of the most famous uh, passages or phrases in the Christmas story, but it's also one of the most misunderstood phrases in history. And as we start the series here in Luke 2, if you're able, would you stand for the reading today? And we're going to read verses 8 through 14 in Luke chapter 2. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, Lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's understand exactly today what the source of goodwill is and also what it's not. And our title today, The Reason for Goodwill. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we could be in this place today. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ that brings us together. And we pray for each person in this room today that you would cause us to focus on what your word might have for us, each as individuals. Guide us now, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, Summer, for that. Well, goodwill toward men is a phrase that we often combine with the phrase just before it, peace on earth. And those two things, it seems to be, are the definition of everyone's utopia. Now, when you hear people talk about what their best wish is or their biggest wish is, uh, people often say, world peace. Or you ask people uh, how a utopia is obtained, and they say the ideal of freedom is, is peace and happiness. Uh, Neville Chamberlain, so those of you who know history, months before World II began, gave a speech called Peace in Our Time. And then World War II broke out. Yeah, Middle East peace is a political dream of every president since Franklin Roosevelt. Everybody's got the new peace accord that's going to take the place of the last peace accord, and this one's going to work. And yeah, Jimmy Carter had the solution way back in the 1970s, and it still seems like there's fighting in the Gaza Strip, and there's fighting in Palestine all the time. We hear a lot about peace on earth at goodwill toward men. All the popular people seem to talk about it. And all the biggest singers sing about it. Here are the opening lyrics from U2's song, Peace on Earth. Heaven on earth, we need it now. I'm sick of all this hanging around. Sick of sorrow. Sick of the pain. I'm sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. You know, Peter, Paul, and Mary, how many of you even know who that is? And, and Bob Dylan sang about it in the 1960s. And others have joined them since. But it's been on the tip of the human tongue for thousands of years. In fact, the ancient prophets were struggling with people crying out, Peace! Peace! when there was no peace to be found. It is always the pursuit of the human mind, and yet it hasn't ever been found on this earth in the way that we think it should be found. Jesus' own disciples thought that he had come the first time to bring peace on earth, goodwill toward men politically, and to save them from the Roman government, and to create a Jewish state right at that time. From eons ago, men have looked for that goodwill here on earth. But it is always something that seems to be a little bit further than the rainbow. Atheists and agnostics want good, but they don't want God to get good. Buddhists and New Age zealots think that the goodwill we need is found inside of us. And that everyone has a personal God in us. And this morning, let's dispel the notion right away that goodwill can come from the residents of the earth. There are notes in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. We see, first of all, this morning, man's uncorrectable circumstance. Man's uncorrectable circumstance. You know, Jesus was having a talk to, one day with the Pharisees and it's recorded for us in Mark chapter 7. Many of the Pharisees had this same idea that people do today, that evil was this force that comes from the outside, and that evil can come in and take over our lives. Pharisees didn't want to consider the alternative, which was that evil starts from the inside of us. 
And if you're there with me in Mark 7, look at verse 15. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Now, here's the kicker. Jesus' own disciples were confused about what he was saying here. Actually, they were confused a lot. If you've ever read the New Testament, his disciples were often confused. And we seem to find that same confusion in our lives. Look at verse 17. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. So Jesus gives this picture to them about the things that come into the human body, they don't go into the actual heart or the inner being of man. They come into the body part. They come into the physical part. And we all know how that works. Don't have to describe it at all today. All right? If you need any help with it, just go in the nursery and chase some diapers. And you'll figure out what I'm talking about. But just like Jesus' disciples, many believers... And a lot of people tend to think, when they're asked, that men are basically good, and they're only influenced by outside evil. In fact, if you take a poll of self-proclaimed Christians in the United States, over half of them will tell you that man is basically good. Now, these are people who claim to be Christ followers, and yet they say man is basically good, and when given the opportunity, he will do the right thing. Anybody who has kids know that that's a bunch of bunk. When given the opportunity to do wrong, we all do wrong. It's just a fact of life. We don't overcome temptation when we're right in the middle of it. We overcome temptation by fleeing from temptation, the Bible says. We overcome temptation by not even being present with the evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Get away from it. That's what it's talking about. Now look how Jesus ends this little sermon to them. Verse 20. He tells them again. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. And then he starts naming names. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. I'll tell you just like Jesus did, because it's absolutely true, that every evil thing comes from the human heart. That's where it comes from. It's an enemy, and it's inside of us. And so goodwill certainly does not find its origin in the fallen human race. We could go over 
to Romans chapter 3, and it's a familiar passage as well. If you look over there, there's a, several things in this passage that stand out. Paul is talking in Romans. It's an actual guy named Paul. And he was a, a teacher, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he's writing a letter to a group of believers in Rome that he had never met. Paul had never been to Rome yet. And so he's writing this letter to explain to them what the gospel is. And in Romans 3, he's having this talk about guilt and sin. And here's what he says in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all, look at those next two words, under sin. Under sin. You say, well, what does that mean? Keep reading. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So of our own merits, none of us are good enough. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Then it gets even worse. Their throat is an open sepulcher. And what that means is, the way that we speak with our human tongue is an open grave waiting for somebody to fall in it. Isn't that abrupt? Like, whoa! And yet we've all said things that hurt people. With their tongues they've used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Talking about the human race. Talking about us. Verse 23 goes on to say, For all have sinned. It comes short of the glory of God. All of us. Jews, Gentiles, young, old, from every people group, every race on the planet, we are all under the burden of sin. And here's the thing. No amount of effort on our part can overcome this condition. Look back at verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. For me, the most simple verse to explain this dilemma is found a couple pages to your right in Romans 5. <clears throat> I've always used this verse when I'm explaining salvation to people who would like to trust Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, a guy named Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so we're sinners both by nature and by choice. We can't do anything to purify ourselves. And the dream of goodwill toward men coming from us, the human race, is a hopeless dream. That's not where goodwill toward man comes from. We're not the source. Very plain. Scripturally and very plain to all of us. If we are basically good, we wouldn't need prisons. We wouldn't need penitentiaries. We wouldn't need locks. We wouldn't need car alarms. We wouldn't need security systems if man were basically good. 
But you go any place on earth, and you will find just the opposite of man being good. And so that's our first thing, and that's kind of the bad news, man's uncorrectable circumstance. But then we see this next part, which is God's unsurpassable charity. God's unsurpassable charity. When Adam and Eve sinned, God could have wiped the slate clean and started over. But instead, he chose to offer mankind favor that was completely undeserved. And there's a passage I love to look at to explain this in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John is almost to the back of the New Testament. And if you get to Revelation, you've gone just a little too far. 1 John chapter 4. This is a book that explains God's love. It's only five chapters long and yet a powerful book written by an apostle named John who actually walked on the earth and saw Jesus Christ and His miracles and saw Him when He died on the cross and saw Him when He was risen again. 1 John 4, verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now look at verse 9. In this was manifested, in this was shown the love of God toward us. Because God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What a powerful passage that is. Herein is love. Us loving God, that's not really a far stretch, is it? It's kind of like if somebody came up and gave you a million dollars today, it would not be difficult to love them. But if somebody came and stole your wallet, it'd be a little harder to love that person. If somebody came and took a baseball bat to your headlights, it'd be hard to love that person. You know when God loved us? When we were sinners, when we were rotten to the core, He loves us. Now, the history of Jesus' birth is written by a doctor named Luke in the Bible. And it's what we read at the opening part of the sermon. You might recall the wording when it said, A multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Now, why glory to God? Why? Because His love is what sent the Son of God to the earth. We just read it in 1 John 4. His love is what sent His Son to the earth. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. It's one of the first verses that the boys and girls learn in Awana. I'm so glad they learned that verse because that verse explains salvation. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. God's love, His mercy, His grace, His favor are the foundation of goodwill toward men. There's no goodwill without God's love. Most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The goodness is 100% God. At 0% us. 
The love is 100% God and 0% us, and only human pride would tell us otherwise. But you know, there's more to the reason for goodwill than the love of God the Father. There's also this third part of the message, Jesus' unfathomable condescension. Those, those are big words, but I'm going to explain them. Jesus' unfathomable condescension. I never get tired of reading Paul's letter to the Philippians. Those four chapters are life-sustaining words given by God. And if you look at Philippians 2, there in the New Testament, I'd like you to see a passage. Philippians chapter 2. Chapter 2, in the beginning part of the chapter, speaks of what theologians call the kenosis of Jesus Christ. And that just means that He emptied Himself of His own will and became entirely receptive to the Father's divine will. Look at Philippians 2, verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Romans 5.8 says it this way, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the Son of God, Jesus Christ, responded to the Father's mercy for the human race, with humility, submission, and sacrifice beyond our comprehension. So if God's love is the foundation of goodwill toward men, we clearly see that Jesus' servant heart is the form of that goodwill toward men. Jesus is the one that we experience all goodwill through. There's no goodwill toward men through any other means. Now, on this earth, we sometimes think that we might see instances of temporary peace or acts of kindness that seem like they might be separated from God. But you know, goodwill toward men comes only through Jesus Christ. It comes only through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get it. There's no other way to observe it or to use it in your life. It comes through Jesus Christ. Matthew twenty twenty eight says this, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life as a ransom for many. That's goodwill toward men. And so the foundation of goodwill is God the Father, but the form is Jesus Christ. And then we see that the force is the Holy Spirit. And so we've got all three parts of the Godhead involved in goodwill. And uh, we see this as the last part of the message, the Spirit's unlimited comfort. The Spirit's unlimited comfort. Go back to Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah lived in about 750 B.C. And there are scores of prophecies given by this individual that point to Jesus Christ as the form of goodwill toward men. If you're turning there, go ahead and go to Isaiah 11. You know, Isaiah is the one that prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin. 
Isaiah is the one that said that his name will be called Emmanuel. Isaiah is the one that said which tribe the Messiah would come from. He is the one in Isaiah 53 who said he would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And I want you to see two of his prophecies today that deal with the Holy Spirit as the force that would empower the Messiah to fulfill God's will. First in Isaiah 11, at verse number 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So that talks about the tribe that Jesus would come from, that he would come through the line of David. Look at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. It's the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now this is the same Spirit of God that moved upon the waters at creation. This is the same Spirit of God that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that indwells your life. And it's the Spirit that empowered Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61, and if you read the New Testament, you find later that Jesus quoted this passage in the synagogue at Nazareth where he grew up. And in Luke chapter 4, he went up into the synagogue and he opened up the, the scroll and he began to read right at this passage that we're going to read right here. At the early part of his ministry. Isaiah 61 and verse number 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. You know, when Jesus read this passage in the synagogue, he stopped in the middle of verse 2 that we just read there. He stopped after it said the acceptable year of the Lord. The first coming of Jesus Christ, you might call it the advent, the first advent of Jesus Christ is the opening of the acceptable year of the Lord. And so here the Spirit's anointing was the catalyst for goodwill toward men. His role in the Godhead was to empower Jesus to preach good tidings unto the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim liberty unto the captives. The Spirit is still the force that draws men to God's goodwill. God, the Bible says, is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And He sent Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins, and the Spirit is the one that leads us into that relationship. The Spirit is the one that indwells a believer with that goodwill, that peace that passes understanding. So the reason for goodwill is clear to us. We only have the availability of goodwill because of God's love, Jesus' sacrifice, and the Spirit's working. That's why we have goodwill today. But here's the bigger question. I know we've covered some theological ground here this morning. It's kind of a foundation for the series. Bigger question is this. 
What are we doing with the goodwill we've been given? It's been given to us, for unto us, or for unto you, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What are we going to do with that goodwill? Are we going to live under the fable that we can give goodwill by human means, by our own efforts? Or are we sincerely offering the love of God as the only hope for this sinful world? So many times we live out human goodness instead of God's goodness. You know, human goodness is such a trick. It's such a deceitful thing because it appears like it's really good. You have seen this in your own life before. You've met people who seem so good. And then you find out they're human beings. You find out they're rotten. And you find out that they stink. They have body odor. And they have to use breath mints. Or maybe some of them don't use them. And and you got all these things going on where you you think somebody's going to be a certain way and then you aren't sure. And maybe you meet somebody who's been on the cover of a magazine or been on the news before or on a TV show before and you walk away thinking, it seemed pretty normal to me. Right? In fact, sometimes you meet him and you think, man, he's shorter than I thought. Right? He's shorter than I thought. He has more wrinkles than I thought he would. Right? I saw her without her makeup and she looked really normal. Uh, we... We inflate people, though. That's why, as Americans especially, we buy into this celebrity-type thing where we inflate people's goodness because we truly, inside of our carnal nature, we want to believe that people are basically good. We want to believe that there is this dream that is fulfilled by human goodness. But there's not... Just because she's cute and perky doesn't mean she's going to be better than the last six girlfriends you had. Just because he's a hunk who seems really nice doesn't mean he's going to be better than the last four guys. Human beings aren't any good without God. Goodwill toward men only comes through the love of God the Father, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Spirit of God. That's it. We have to understand the source before we can go any further. We have to understand where it comes from. And you say, Pastor, it seems like we kind of know this. We've already covered this ground. But we don't live like we know it. We still live like we think it can come from human beings. And we have to get back to this foundation to understand without Him, we can do nothing. Without Him, we're helpless. Without Him, there is no spiritual victory. Without Him, we have no hope for the future. Let's bow today, and as we bow, I would like to invite you for a moment to consider this message today. Maybe you're here this morning, and you would say honestly in your heart, Pastor, I do not know 
if I died today where I'd spend eternity. I'm not sure about what you call salvation. I'm not sure about a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need answers in my life. I have a lot of questions and I need some answers. And we'd love to give you answers today. We'd love to take the Word of God and show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Christian, you may be here today and maybe you have forgotten God's goodness in your life. Maybe you have misunderstood what goodness is, where it comes from, and how you should live it. You know, all of the goodwill that we give brings glory to our Father in heaven. I don't know how God is speaking to your heart today, but we're going to have a closing prayer, and then I'm going to invite you to respond to the message. Father, would you work today in our hearts? We know that we are all sinners. We are undeserving of your grace. Even the things that we try to do well are like filthy rags compared to your righteousness. We don't have anything of merit to bring to you. And so we need the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. We need the cross of Calvary to cover our sins. I pray that you would help us during this season of the year to consider who you are and what you've done and what you would like to do in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? If you'd like to respond, the altar's open. You do what God wants you to do this morning. Would you come? Without Him I could do nothing Without Him I'd surely fail Without Him I would be drifting Like a ship without a sail Jesus, oh Jesus Do you know Him today? Please don't turn Him away Oh Jesus, oh Jesus Without Him how lost I would be Without Him I would be dying Without Him I'd be enslaved Without Him life would be hopeless But with Jesus Thank God I'm saved. You know the chorus, sing it together. Jesus, oh Jesus, do you know him today? Please don't turn him away, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, without him. How lost I would be. Our Father, without you, we're lost. Without you, there's no good news. Without you, we don't even exist. And so we thank you and we praise you 
And we ask that you would help us to walk out of this place with God-given goodwill toward men. That we might glorify you in all that we say and all that we do this week. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this community. Bring us back together tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before we go, uh, three things. One is choir practice at 4.45, evening service at 5.30. The other thing is, if you um, are an electrician or you know electrical things really well, we have a bank of lights, these four lights that won't come on. And if you could meet with uh, Brother Bill Van Sickle, uh, put your heads together, and if we could figure out what's going on with that, I sure would appreciate it. Uh, Otherwise, our pianists can't see anything, and they're just playing blind. They're Ray Charles. And so help them out, okay? If you could see Brother Bill on that. Love you, everybody. Have a great week.